Good evening and welcome along to St. Mark's. We're going to be thinking about, especially that passage from 1 John, uh, and so let's ask for God's help and that he would actually be changing us as we think about it. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, that it is a guide to our path and a light to our feet. We do pray that as we think about it, that you would transform us to be more like your son, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. And when I was at uh, Theological College, uh, there was an old preacher there who was running preaching class whose advice was to never use an illustration more than once. And that reusing illustration was a bit like reboiling cabbage. Um, which uh, he then proceeded to reuse that same illustration throughout the rest, maybe four or five times, either because he was making his point clear or he was quite old, he may have just been becoming quite senile at that point. But I'm going to tell a joke now, which I have told here once before, and given then that some of you may have heard it before, and I suck at joke telling. Uh, this is like thrice boiled cabbage, maybe, for some of you. Anyway, the joke is told about a man who, in the angst of city living, starts finding himself tailgating a woman on a busy road. And he's doing this for a few kilometres, getting more and more angry when they get to the lights. And as it turns amber, the lady does the right thing and stops. And with this, the guy completely loses it. And he hits the roof and the horn. He's screaming and swearing because he's missed his chance to get through the intersection. As he's still there letting rip, he hears a tap on the window and looks up in the face of a very angry and serious-looking policeman. The policeman then uh, tells him to get out of the car and seemingly out of all proportion. He cuffs him, frisks him down and takes him to the police station where he's put in a holding cell. After several hours, the policeman comes back and looks somewhat apologetic, opens the cell door and escorts the guy to the front desk where his personal effects are waiting for him. And the policeman is somewhat ashen face and this. And he says, look, I'm sorry for the mistake. You see, I pulled up behind your car while you were blowing your horn, giving the finger to the lady in front of you, using every filthy word in the book. And when I saw on the back of your car a Jesus loves you sticker, uh, what would Jesus do? Sticker on the rear window, the cross hanging from your rear vision mirror, and a chrome-plated Christian fish emblem on your bumper. I just assumed that you had stolen someone else's car. But uh, this evening, then, as we think about uh, think about one John four, it's good to get thinking about what sorts of things should characterise us as Jesus Church, as a community of Christians. The church should be a hotbed of love, a convulsing community throbbing with uh, love. Uh, indeed, churches can be unique communities that stand out like uh, lights on a hill. The church as a unique place of connection and healing, where we're accepted and loved deeply, where we find relationships where we can give of ourselves and find our love reciprocated. And like Jesus said, people see that we are his disciples because of the sort of love that we have for each other and for the world. 
And you often, I think, church life has been more like a repellent stink on a hill, like a, a tip face uh, that drives people far from God, a community characterised not by love, but by petty politics, by judgmentalism, and where it's just boring, by insularity and cliques, by hypocrisy and indifference, by rank ungodliness that makes people say, if that's what it is to be a Christian, then I don't want a bar of it. So this week, uh, the one John train pulls into the station. We put down the landing gear on the one John plane today. The one John stops uh, running. Uh, We stop thinking about this letter for a time. And as it is, I think it's great to stop at the place where we think about love, and especially love for each other. But it's a great place to stop this series because it grounds our reflections in our life together here, hopefully in a way that's fairly concrete for us. I just want us to think about uh, what it says to us as a church. Really, this reading is summed up by verses 19 to 21, where we heard just a second ago, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen, does not love God whom he's not seen. And God has given us this command, Whoever loves God must also love his brother and sister. And with all the tactlessness that the Apostle John has, I want us to think about church in terms of love and hate. The choice between being a church of hate or a church of love. Uh, It's a well-known convention uh, amongst hard men and criminals, maybe just because you've got four fingers and each word is, is four letters long. But uh, to you know, love and hate on their knuckles or fingers. Anyway, I want us to think about this antithesis of love and hate. And firstly then, um, about a church of hate. John warns us against hating our Christian brothers and sisters. Again, we heard it. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Uh, now, I'm sure that, uh, that really uh, most of us would be reluctant to use the word hate to describe how we feel about uh, anyone. I mean, especially, I think, those who share the pews with us at church. Hate in church, I think, really conjures up at least for me, you know, the Westboro Baptist Church, or, you know, uh, red-faced, beady-eyed, venom-spewing, pulpit-thumping nutjobs. But if all John was saying is, don't be a red-faced, beady-eyed, venom-spewing, pulpit-thumping nutjob, then his words would only apply to a few of you here. But I take it that uh, his point lands somewhat closer to home. I mean, John's letter, like his gospel, is framed in terms of the very stark either-or alternatives. You either walk in the light or the dark. You're either a child of God uh, or the devil. You either love God or the world. 
you either believe the truth or lies. It's about love and hate. And this darkness really, I think, accentuates the two basic fundamental alternatives or directions. And it ought to sharpen our keenness to be on the right side of the two. But the only place where concrete expression is given to what uh, the absence of love or the hate is, is in chapter 3 where John writes, If anyone sees his brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can God's love be in them? That is, I think, it's not just about settled attitudes of dislike towards other people that counts as hate. It's more like what, whatever, wherever, there is not love. That is that if I'm not loving my Christian brothers or sisters, I'm hating them. I think it's hard to think of anything more ugly and basically contradictory than Christians fighting amongst themselves. And I think it's not only so sad, but so easy to think about cases where that is true, where churches chew up those who come to them for help, chew up and spit out their members and their ministers. Often the deepest scars that Christians have are those that are caused by other supposed Christians. But I think, again, it's not just that, that bad. I think it's more like we have polite lovelessness, the omission of love. Churches where it feels more like passengers on a bus than men and women who've thrown in their lot together. Sitting in the same building for an hour on Sunday, popping in when there's something not more interesting to do. But that's not church, at least as the Bible puts it. And it's not love. And it ends up ultimately not being Christian. Here, the test for whether or not we are Christians is whether or not we love our Christian brothers and sisters. And if my stance towards my Christian brother or sister in front of me is dislike, or it's just indifference, then it puts the lie to any claims I have of loving God whom I've not seen. I mean, I'm not saying that this is easy. Uh, Christians often... Uh, pretty hard to like. Uh, you know, there are people in church who talk all the time and never, never just shut up, uh, where it's so hard to talk to them. You don't want to talk to them. There are Christians who have bad breath, like heinous bad breath. Uh, there are Christians who are boring, who have terrible taste in music. They have no, no sort of aesthetic sensibility that makes it easy to engage with them. Christians often are hard to like. But the thing is that the great merciful God who brings us at great cost into a relationship with himself also brings us together as well. We're the church of God that he bought with his blood. It's not my church and it's not your church. This is God's church. It's not about my taste in what happens here or your taste in what happens here. It's that God 
has brought us together. And Jesus shed more than just tears to bring us together. Again, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. So, uh, you know, that's the sort of bad, that's the bad uh, thing to not be. Uh, let's not be a church of hate. Let's be a church of love instead. Uh, the flip side is that we need to be actually you and me and the Christian with bad breath sitting bef- you know, in front of you or behind you. We need to be actually loving each other deeply just as God has loved us. And it's hard to miss John's point if you've ever read, read through 1 John. Uh, so again, in chapter 3, verse 11, it says, This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Chapter 3, verse 14, we know we've passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. This is how we know what love is. It says in chapter 3, verse 16, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. It feels a bit like uh, the... the the race at the Melbourne Cup commentators, uh, they said this is taking longer than the Melbourne Cup itself, but to just rattle off the other ones, chapter 3, verse 23, this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another. Chapter 4, verse 7, dear friends, let's love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. This isn't just, this isn't just an abstract ideal. Uh, This isn't simply some sort of aspirational thing that John is laying out. This is what he's saying needs to be the case for us. As it has, as it in many ways is, and as it has been throughout the history of the church as well. The Roman emperor, Julian, often called Julian the Apostate, who wrote in the fourth century who hated Christianity and regretted the progress that it was making throughout society and the changes it had brought about uh, because it pulled people away from the old Roman gods, from paganism. He He wrote, Christianity has especially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through the care for the burial of the dead. It's a scandal said that there's not a single Jew who's a beggar and that those godless Galileans, the Christians, care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well, while those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. This is uh, what we are called to be. And this is particularly the case for the local church, for a community like, like us, I mean, John doesn't give us much by way of actual concrete example. Instead, he just points his readers then and now to Jesus' sacrificial death for us as the model of how to treat each other. I mean, being a church of love might mean joining a Bible study group. Uh, It might mean finding someone here and asking for their help. It might mean finding someone here and offering them help. Uh, it might mean having one of your Christian brothers and sisters round for dinner. Uh, I mean, it might be giving someone a word of encouragement or praying for them. It might mean bringing food for the toys and tucker. Uh, it might mean actually committing to church, putting down roots uh, at church. It might mean that sort of paradigm shift 
uh, with church that goes from mild commitment of being like a ecclesiastical hitchhiker, a, a sort of consumer approach to church, like a, a kind of Christian approach where it's like a like a drive-through church, where I'm always thinking in terms of I go to or I attend, uh, but never I belong to or I'm a member, uh, to committing, actually, to your Christian brothers and sisters. I don't know what being a church of love will exactly look like for you, and I don't care. Figure it out for yourself. That's not my job. Um, But it actually needs to be something. Uh, It is that just as with marriages and friendships and families, our love for God will never flourish without commitment, and especially commitment to our Christian brothers and sisters. As we heard, dear friends, since God has so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Uh, we, um, we as Christians don't, well, as Anglicans, we don't believe in purgatory. Uh, but sometimes it can feel like that way with church. Church tests our loves. It's easy to love uh, in the abstract. I think it's actually far harder, but more basic to actually love the people who are around us. And it's been said to live uh, live above with those we love undiluted glory, to live below with those we know quite another story. But God calls us to love each other. And as we finish up thinking about 1 John, may this especially be the case for us here. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your deep love for us. We thank you that you are love. And we've seen your love in your Son. We pray that we would reflect out to the world your love for us, And we pray that you would help us to nurture and foster love so that it would flourish amongst us. And we can truly say that we are your people. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.